For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to The Rock Podcast. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three of the most well-known and best-loved characters in the Old Testament. Because of their faith, the fury of the flames was quenched. We also learn an invaluable lesson about having God's presence near when we face fiery trials of many kinds. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Through the Fire. All right, so for some context, the walls of Jerusalem have come down, unfortunately, um, and the glorious temple has been demolished and God's people have been uh, exiled. They've been taken away to a far off land in full payment for hundreds of years of sin and rebellion and idolatry to the Lord God. And that had been building up for hundreds of years with hundreds of warnings and all of that. But Uh, Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the then known world of Babylon, the Babylonian empire, with his armies has come in and crushed the place and taken whatever he wanted back to his homeland, which is actually modern day Iraq. Now, uh, with every promise and prophecy of punishment to God's people, Israel, there's always an unconditional promise of restoration in the future, every single time. And it's always unconditional. And he always, God always says he will restore the Jewish people and uh, bring to fulfillment his great promises for them. Now, so they've been taken out of the land, but it's going to be like a timeout. Instead of sitting in the corner, they will be living in the corner over there in Iraq for 70 years. Now, I promised to tell you a couple weeks ago why that's not an arbitrary number, 70. There's a reason for the 70 years, and then the Lord will put it on the king of Persia, uh, to uh, Cyrus, to release his people and help fund the project of getting Jerusalem back up and running. But it'll be 70 years. So why 70 years? Well... In Leviticus, (laughs) yeah, I don't want to try that again. I was going to try that again. Chapter 25, there's a command uh, to let the land rest every seven years for what was called a a Sabbath, a sabbatical year, a, a, a Sabbath year, right? So every seven years. And so in Leviticus 26, it says, if you don't do that, then you shall be removed from the land and I'll give the land its rest while you're making amends for all your other sins. Uh, The land will enjoy its Sabbath years that you robbed it of. So Israel had robbed the land of 490 years. They were in the land, but they they robbed the land of 70 Sabbath uh, rests. So... Here's what the Lord said. Every, on the sixth year of harvest, I will double the harvest so that you will have enough to rest the land, but you'll have to trust me for the seventh year. Instead of trusting him, they pocketed the extra and, and, and harvested on the seventh year anyway, you see? And so that totaled 70 Sabbath 
years. So in 2 Chronicles 36, the writer says, as they're being taken away to Babylon, the writer says, uh, it will last 70 years. The land will rest. You'll make amends. I'll bring you back. And in uh, the year 536 uh, BC, uh, King Cyrus of Persia, uh, uh, with Ezra kind of leading the way, is going to rebuild Jerusalem. So exactly 70 years. You know what? God is way ahead of the game. He really is. He's, he's really uh, 10,000 steps ahead. And so in the midst of all the people being banished uh, to Iraq for 70 years is none other than Daniel um, and his three Hebrew friends, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. Those are their God-given Jewish names, and we don't even know them by that. The king of Babylon tried to uh, brainwash them and put them through reprogramming and all of this and renamed them Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And he did a pretty good job because that's all we know of them, you know. But I, from once I started preaching about it, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not calling them Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Uh, but I end up doing it because the, the other names are harder. <laughs> anyway, the book of Daniel is set in the heart of Babylon with Daniel and his three friends, however we're going to call them, uh, in the midst of a pagan and wicked and dangerous culture. <laughs> especially for those who love the truth and stand for, up for the living God. So really the theme of Daniel, if you're just joining us, is how to live for God uh, in a world that's relentlessly hostile uh, with its pressure to compromise away from the truth and to accept the way the world does things. And so uh, some good, quick context now as we get ready for chapter 3. Daniel and the three Hebrew friends are all for alive still. Uh, they could be singing through many dangers, toils, and snares. We have already come. Uh, chapter one, Daniel and his friends, you know, they're the cream of the crop of the Jewish exiles. They, they are a Jewish nobility. They are from the tribe of Judah. They are related to King David, right? And so the Babylonians spotted this, and why, why waste perfectly good, talented men? So let's uh, put them into our, our school for Magi, up-and-coming Magi. And they went into an immersion program, as you'll recall, for language and culture and religion and forced into this rigorous three-year uh, total program really aimed at brainwashing them and making these nice Jewish boys into nice Babylonian brothers. Well, that didn't work. By God's grace, they retained their integrity and their devotion to the Lord while excelling to the top of the class uh, without moral compromise. And so you'll remember the king's evaluation at finals. Uh, he said, these guys are 10 times better, smarter, stronger, better looking than all the others. <laughs> now, that was chapter one. Chapter two, now you'll recall the king had a disturbing dream. And all the while, we know God is going to take these four men who know the truth and know the living God in a pagan world, and he's going to move them into prominent positions so that he can impact and influence the world for good, 
right? And so he's on his way to doing that. And how he did it was he gave the king this, this disturbing dream and he felt threatened and was unraveled. And so King Nebuchadnezzar uh, called all his wise men in and the astrologers. And they're, they're really just sorcerers, kind of fortune teller kind of guys. And, he, and, and I loved it. You know, he said, tell me the dream and tell me what it means. And they said, okay, we will. Just tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And he said, no. If you're such wise men, you'll tell me what I dream, so then I'll know that you have the ability to interpret it. And so they said, oh, that's unreasonable. No king's ever asked that before. No, we can't do it. What do you think we are, fortune tellers? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, he said, well, then I'm going to kill you all. So the, the, you'll remember last week he sent out that letter and he sent out guys to get Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego because they were in the program. And Daniel sweet talked his way into the king's presence to save the day with what God describes as wisdom and tact. He had the diplomacy to be able to talk this executioner, let me go in and see the king and he went in and he saw the king and he gives God glory and you know the whole story tells him the dream explains the meaning saves the lives of the wise men and their own lives he gets a promotion he gets a lot of gifts and and the king gives the Daniel's God the glory but that's the key there's a big difference between praising someone else's God and praising the God of your own life, and we're about to see that. So things look so good at the end of chapter two, and then suddenly it's kind of like it goes. Two steps forward, three steps back. Verse one. All right, so King Nebuchadnezzar, (laughs) this guy is just praising the God of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar makes this image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He sets it up on the plain of Dura, which is still there, because the Bible is true and accurate, and you can verify everything in the book, unlike other kinds of books. Set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, that's a fancy name for the government officials, prefects, governors, advisors, Treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial (laughs) officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do. All peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound on the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down, fall down and worship, which verse are we at? Whoever does not, right where it's pointed, unbelievable. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar 
had set up. And so if you're taking notes, number one, the king's command. Now, I like it when they rhyme the points, and so I'm trying to rhyme in them tonight so that it'll help you uh, remember the points. Sometimes it does. The king's command. So now to, uh, the command is to bow down and worship this image. So the stage is set uh, here. The Daniel's theme is this, and, and here it is. Uh, we as God's people, we're called citizens of heaven, Philippians chapter three, but we live in, in an environment here. We have dual citizenship. You know, our true home is in heaven and we have the Holy Spirit who ha- is from above working out his grace from above in the world below, and that causes a lot of strife. And so uh, we see the setup here. There's always a challenge of living for truth and light and God in the midst of a world that says, no, you bow down to the way we do things here or else, you see. That's why First Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us, we must live our lives as strangers in this life, as foreigners, with reverent fear, reverent fear of God, so that our, our reverence and fear of God would be greater than our reverence and fear of any man who has the breath of life in his nostrils, as the psalmist wrote about. And so here we see the theme here. So the king of the world, as he has been called, really, uh, he, he, he sets up this, uh, this 90 foot by nine uh, immense gold statue. Now, presumably of himself. Uh, now, unfortunately, in English, it says 90 feet by nine, right? But in Hebrew, it, it really is 66 cubits by six. So you have six, six, plus six. Yeah, well, okay, think about what we're talking about. We'll talk about the Antichrist in the book of Daniel. He talks about the Antichrist, right? And what does the Antichrist do? He sets up an image and says, you bow and worship it or you die. Oh, hello, that's 666. It's not an arbitrary number. There's a connection to that. And anybody who's reading the Bible and sees that and knows anything about the Bible goes, bing. Okay, I'm going to tie this together. Uh, so, um, y- you know, so the, he's having a me moment, all right? And, and, and here's where he got the me moment inspiration, okay? The problem with having a me moment is it's dangerous to everybody around you uh, because it's all about you. James chapter 3, verse 16. Where you have selfish ambition, there you will find chaos and every evil practice. Yeah, so you're just saying, hey, I'm having a little me moment. Watch out, because there is going to be chaos, and every evil practice can find life in that kind of uh, fertile soil. And so here's where he got his problem here. Let me show you the picture again of the dream. So he was given this dream and everything was cool until chapter two at the end. And he found out you king of kings, God has made you king of the earth and and you are the head of pure gold. But but there's another kingdom of Persia is going to replace you. They're going to forget about you. And then the iron, you know, uh, uh, or the bronze, I should say, the Greeks, they're going to forget about them, and who's going to forget about you, and then the, we got the Romans, they're going to forget about them, and, and that, 
You get the story, right? And then there's that rock. Well, you know what? A few years pass, and he's like, you know what? I'm getting older here. People are going to forget about me. I'm losing my grip here. So I, I, I'm going to build a statue. I'm going to resist that God-given dream, and I'm going to make the statue all pure gold. We're not going to stop at the head. Oh, we're going, this is going to be me and my kingdom. And nobody's ever going to forget it because there isn't going to be any chest of silver and any loins of bronze and any legs of iron and feet mixed with clay. Uh, uh, no, certainly no rock, right? So he builds his little golden thing. Two words for this, pride and insecurity. You know, pride is this that even though he, you know, he forgot the part where Daniel says, God has made you. God has made you king of kings and lord of lords, lowercase, of this world. Everything you have that's good, God has given you. Every perfect gift has come down to you from God above. Why do you boast as, though, as if it was yours? And, and that's the problem with pride, you know? And so he didn't acknowledge that. And then insecurity, you know, he doesn't like the idea, as I mentioned, of the, the next kingdoms succeeding him. So, you know, he, he took the truth hard. And here's the truth that he couldn't get over. You know, there is a God and it's not you. He, he really did not like that. So, so he's going to immortal immoralize himself by making the statue and he's going to get his uh, few minutes of everybody bowing down and worshiping him. So in verse two, he invites everybody. But when a king invites you, it's really a king's command. All right. So he commands anyone who's anyone. That list there is like if you've got money or you're good looking or you're famous or, or you're in government, you're going to be there. And, and why all nations? Because there are ambassadors who represent those other nations. They are gathered there as well. And so here come the instructions in verse 5. Listen up, wordlings. All right. Um, uh, the, the, the worship music is going to get queued up. You will fall face down, prostrate, and you will worship. And whoever does not will be thrown into a pit of fire. Now, I just find it interesting that whoever does bow to idolatry and those kinds of things, ultimately, in God's economy, does get thrown into a pit of fire. So it's really weird and, and reverse, and, and not just a pit of fire where, ouch, it hurts for a few seconds and then you're gone. That's not the truth of the Bible, even though the emergent church theology is coming at all of us to soften what it means to perish when Jesus himself used the words eternal and torment. And so I think Jesus knows what the word eternal means. And so nobody likes to talk about it, but that's the way it uh, is. And so in verse 7, uh, the Middle Eastern ad hoc orchestra starts to play. The conductor lifts his little baton and all the people hear the music and they fall down and they worship and they do their thing. The furnace is stoked and the music plays and the people fall. Worship rises, but not from all. Verse eight. 
So at this time, some astrologers, the wise men, all of that same class, came forward and denounced the Jews. Those are our three brothers. We don't know where Daniel is. He might be out of town, seriously. Uh, he may, uh, nobody really knows. The Lord didn't want him there. He wanted to deal with these three guys. Uh, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. That whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. And so, uh, first of all, we saw the king's command, and now the faith to stand. Number two is the faith to stand and to keep standing. And so... You know, we have a working uh, definition of faith from Hebrews 11, where we're parked right now on Sunday mornings. Uh, to, To take God at his word and to direct our lives accordingly, even though. And there's always an even though. And we see the even though here tonight. Even though the king says bow, even though I could get hurt, even though I've got something to lose here, even though people won't like me, even though people will leave the church, even though I can't have what I want, even though it's not the popular stance, even though. And it's when we take God at his word and direct our lives accordingly, even though, that's when we get the evidence of things unseen, which these boys are going to get, but not until they take God at his word and direct their lives accordingly, even though. Then the material, the proof, the evidence comes to the fore. And so uh, these three Hebrews uh, are going to get a a shout out, by the way, in Hebrews 11 for their heroic faith. And so really the the New Testament counterpart of these truths is when the apostles are hauled before the, the Jewish Sanhedrin and they say, we command you. Stop teaching in that name of Jesus. We'll flog you, we'll kill you. They said, hey, we must obey God rather than man. Even though, even though it costs, even though you're going to flog me, even though you're going to march me out to the beach and say, are you you going to recant of your faith in Jesus? No, I'm not. And then you're going to see him. Yeah, thank you. And there he is, you know, even though. And so the, in verse 8, the devil's little tattletailers go running to, to the king. Oh, king, live forever. <laughs> we, we have some traitors because oh, we love you so much. And, and we, you know, truth be told, they want something. They want a reward. They want the promotion that they were passed over by these three foreigners. Oh, yes, oh, king, there's somebody you should know about, somebody who doesn't do what we do, somebody who's a defector, some foreigners trying to push their religion and their God down our throats. Yeah, and so 
these, um, oh, they're mad, by the way. The, the Hebrew for denounce those Jews, <laughs> it's to sink their teeth into or to eat them up alive. So, you know, these are guys who got passed over. These are Babylonians. They don't speak Hebrew. They didn't have to learn their language. These Hebrew young teens got promoted over them. And so, you know, they're saying, he's saying something like uh, these, they said to the king of king, we that everyone who's here is okay, and that whoever, but there are some Jews whom you have set over us, er, 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 the affairs of the province of Babylon. Yeah, tell the truth, guys. You guys are jealous and envious and mean-spirited, and you just love watching the king's face turn red and steam come out of his ears and veins pop. Oh, they, they, they love that. And so, you know... Uh, they say, they snub you, man. They don't pay any attention to you. You're not very important to them at all. You know what I like? I like it just the opposite. They're lying and say, oh, they're just standing there. They're not going to bow, you know. Uh, they've got an attitude. They're sneering, you know. Just the opposite. They just stand. They let their lives speak for them. They, they take a stand against the truth in the most kind way, the most godly way possible. That's a New Testament model as well. Uh, we're not to be argumentative. We don't cram things down people's throats. You can't force them to believe. You live the life that speaks. So, so uh, you know, yes, share the gospel, of course. That's what we're all about. But live, live it out. Just They let their quiet courage of an uncompromised life uh, speak for itself. And so 13 through 18. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you know, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, that's Jewish chutzpah for you right there. <laughs> right there. So number three is the Hebrews' plan. All right, so you're going to have a plan. They had a plan when they were already in Jerusalem. The plan is before you get into a situation, I've already decided it's not about my life. My life is over. Christian baptism for us, we, we've told everybody, I died. My life is new. It's been raised with Christ. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. How do you kill and intimidate a dead guy? Right? 
And so they had a plan before, and their plan was when we get there, we're actually going to live out the very faith that we believe. Amen. You know, you have to have a plan. You can't make the plan when you're standing in there, and every, the music comes on, and everybody else bows except you. You've got to have a plan before you go into that situation. And they, they had that plan. And so uh, in, in um, verse 13, the summons is made, and the young men are brought before this makeshift throne, I have kind of a, a picture of an artist's rendering of them out there, you know, with maybe a throne over here. You know, everybody around them is bowed. And there they are, just looking at each other like, uh, let's pray? <laughs> Question mark. So the king's over there somewhere sitting on some throne and he's got the news and thank you, you can put the, the thing back there. And so, um, so the summons is made, they're hauled over there and the, the king remembers them maybe from finals week years before because there's a pause in his fury and he seems to have a little bit of a, a change of heart. Uh, maybe it's their countenance or their peace or their courage or their humility. Something, you know, uh, or maybe he just realizes I'm about to lose three valuable players here. They do a lot of good work for me. Whoops. Oh, it's you guys kind of thing may be going on. And so in his calming moment, he's going to show that he has uh, how magnanimous he could be. In other words, his great power to show mercy and grant a pardon. So uh, he's thinking, at least let these guys explain themselves, right? So we're going to give these foreigners a second chance. And so uh, verses 14 and 15, if you paraphrase a little bit, you know, Got to check the facts myself. It seems hard to believe, and he chokes back a little bit of a chuckle. This is actually true that you won't serve my gods. Oh, hmm. Well, you've been told, I've been told that you're standing and not falling down in worship before the image. I just want to know, is that true? So there's a pause expressionless faces, they don't say anything, and the king has a temporary human emotion. And he says, tell you what, and he smiles. He says, you know what, I'm feeling good today. Uh, we're going to recue the music, all right? And right in front of everybody here, you know, I could have just thrown you right in the fire, but you know, I've got a merciful heart. So when you hear the music again, you will fall down in worship, or you'll be thrown down into the fire pit and let me help you bros with the bottom line, bow or burn, all right? So uh, what God can save you from my hands? And I think when he said that, he just, he sealed the courage of those guys. When he said, okay, come on. You, because he senses there's a confrontation. They're saying, hey, our God can save us. That's why we're not bowing down. We got a God that's higher than all of this. So King Nebuchadnezzar is going to say, call their bluff. I said, really? You think there's a God that's going to save you out of that fire? You know, I really like it. And uh, so he rightly perceives the challenge, and he says, you guys are going down, you know? And, and so here comes their polite but very strong and infuriating uh, re response in 16 through 18. They say, we don't feel any need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. going to... 
we're not going to have a, that, that's not our place. We're, we're not interested in that. We'll leave that to God. Now, if you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us, and that's what we're believing is going to happen. That's what we're certainly hoping for, you know, because he can, and we think he's going to. But we just want you to know, this is the part that just slapped him upside of the face. And just so you know, even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. Never. We're not going to do it. And so, yeah, praise God. I mean, you know, when you see that, you want to be like that. I heard uh, Dr. David Jeremiah the other night. I was, and uh, there he was, and I just paused. I really like him. And I'm listening to him, and uh, he said he heard a story that the 21 Christian men that got marched to the beach at Knife Point were asked one by one, do you recant of your faith in Jesus? Will you submit to Allah? And one by one, no, 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 no. And they all... And then there was somebody who was kind of on, on uh, the edge there, on the fence, and he made a comment that I stand with them that kind of courage, I stand with them. That motivated him, their courage, to take a stance where it cost them their lives. You know, we're not talking 2,000 years ago getting beheaded for Jesus. We're talking about yesterday, here. You don't read a lot about it because we live in a world that's governed by the prince of the power of the air, and so he's putting that on page 14 underneath one of the ads there so that you can't see it. Sorry. I digress what happens here from time to time. Uh, and, and, and so they say, never, never, never. So, of course, there's a gasp there on the plain of Duro there, and it ricochets all over the place. And because no one in the history of the world talks to a Middle Eastern megalomaniac, which means a power-crazed dictator like that, and lives to talk about it. You talk to Nebuchadnezzar like that. He says, bow or die. And you say, no, we will die. We prefer to die before we do anything you say like that. Well, wow. King's thunderstruck, as you read in the, in the text, um, he was spurned. He's challenged. He's publicly called out in front. Now everybody knows, hey, there's a war between uh, Nebuchadnezzar and these Hebrews with their Jehovah God. And they're all watching. They're waiting to see what's going to happen. And he, they've spurned his golden edifice of himself, you know, and uh, the threat, they've sloughed it off with contempt. So verses 19 through 23. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious again uh, with them, and his attitude toward them changed. You see, there was a little bit of, hey, it's you guys. Oh, not anymore. <laughs> he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, <laughs> were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> and these three men firmly tied fell into uh, the furnace there. Wow. So we've had the king's command. We had faith to stand uh, the Hebrews plan, and now the furnace fanned, all right? The furnace is 
fan. Now, he's got a change of attitude. Earlier, he had kind of softened up, as I mentioned, and he was going to give these guys a, a fighting, fair uh, second chance. Uh, but when they rejected that offer in front of everybody, the king blows a head gasket, and his attitude uh, goes a, takes a 180-degree turn for the worst. Now, they had a furnace out there. You know, it was, I, you know, I've always pictured a furnace with doors. It might have something like that, but really it was a pit, a fire pit that you could look down into. You see, it makes a lot more sense like that. What did they use it for? For cooking? You know, they have to eat out there while they're worshiping the king <laughs> and uh, garbage and to, to keep warm at night if it's overnight or to, to deal with any troublemakers, apparently. <laughs> and so there it is. And, and I'm sure it has some kind of structure to it above ground, but this, certainly they can look into it. So when the king finally gets over the adrenaline rush to formulate some words, out come a flurry of orders. He says, number one, heat that oven hotter. Right, And then number two, he calls out the big boys, you know, the, the secret service, the buffed ones, the bodyguards. And he calls them out and he says, tie these Hebrews up, bind them. They're going nowhere into the fire. Not the slightest ability to move. Cast them into the fire. So the Babylonian muscle men pick up the humans that kind of bound like I picture rolls of carpet, you know, and they carry them off to the lip of the precipice of the fire pit. And the furnace is so hot that that white flash of heat kills those bodyguards as they toss the young Hebrews overboard and into the flames. Now, what goes through the minds of the martyrs? You know, as they're bound, they're praying, right? I just thought, what, what do you think about as you see the flames and, and, and they're, you're, you're going to be thrown in there? I, I just think, you know, as they're marched out to the beach or as they're thrown to the lions in the Colosseum or as Nero set them on fire to light his backyard gardens, as they lay their necks on the guillotine like Paul the Apostle had to do? What goes through your mind? Well, reports through the centuries tell us um, what they at least saw outwardly. They were singing. They were praying. They were sharing the gospel with their executioners. Um, they were announcing forgiveness to those who condemned them. They were saying those words. Those were their last words, some of them. Uh, they were worshiping and this countenance of peace. And we know that's true from the, by the following verses. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and he thinks he's going crazy. He asks his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up? We threw in there, right? Three, three guys, one, two, three. They replied, certainly, oh, King, yes, there were three. Hey, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of God, the son of God. 
Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, and governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. Yeah, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. All right, the king's command, the faith to stand, the Hebrews' plan, the furnace is fanned, and now what about that fourth man? <laughs> you know, once I start this, I'm like, I don't know that it's going to finish. I'm, I'm like, I, you know, because I'm working my way through it, and I'm like, oh, now I got two, but if the third one and the fourth one don't work, then I have to go back and do something else. So I keep, you know, it worked out. Aren't you happy for me? Yeah. <laughs> What, what about that fourth man? Well, the Lord is faithful. What, what did he promise? Isaiah is speaking to those who are being exiled. And the promise is, hey, when you go through the fire, I'll be with you, my exiled people. <laughs> That's kind of nice. God is faithful to be with us in the fire. And so um, there, there he was. Not the son of the gods, Nebuchadnezzar the son of God, the second person of the Godhead, equal to God in every way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God himself, before he took the form of man, conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, the God-man, before he became the man part, he was God, always. And he appeared the angel of the Lord sometimes is called in the Old Testament. It's Christ before Bethlehem. It's Jesus. Jesus shows up in that fire with them. Oh, man, that is awesome. Uh, one writer put it this way. What we are privileged to see visualized in this miraculous account here in chapter 3 is the truth of what happens each and every time a believer goes to their death because of their faith. Christ stands with them and they are rescued from every weapon formed against them and ushered unharmed into the presence of the living God. In other words, God is saying this miracle speaks to a spiritual absolute truth that I promise that in my people's fiery times of trials and tribulations, I'm in it with them always. This is just, you know, wouldn't it be nice if God could always do that? God does always do that every single time. And you, when you're in your fire, come on, you've testified of it in your lifetime. You've all been in little fires here and there. And every single time you come out of that and you say, let me tell you how God met me in such miraculous ways. I had, a, as most of you know, I had a bone marrow transplant uh, 12 years ago. I mean, every time I go into a hospital, I get a little, oh, I smell the smells and it just brings me back. I lived there for two months at UCSF. While they try to save my life, I only had 30% chance to live 12 years ago, right? I drive by UCSF and I look at that up on the hill with warm, fond memories. That's crazy, that was a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of tears. 
but there was some way that God met me <laughs> that made up for all of that. He was by that bedside with me in a way that I have never known him before because I was in the fire. And the fourth man was there with me as he's with you in your fire. You gotta look for him. You're not gonna see him if you're just looking at the flames and complaining about how hot it is and, and how nobody loves you and you're the only one who has to go through the fire and all of this. You're not gonna see him. He's standing right there. Oh man, I just, uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. So Neb thinks he's losing his mind. And he's like, oh, how many guys? One, two, three, four. So he's got a vision there. And the guys, yeah, yeah, it was, it was three, but now there's four. Uh, and, uh, you know, they dare to get as close as possible to take a better look. And, you know, uh, there's a change of heart, you know. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, <laughs> come out here. Come out here, servants of the Most High God. <laughs> That that was a huge miracle in itself, right? So they climb out and they are surrounded like celebrities. The celebrities are surrounding the three Hebrew nobodies. They're all surrounded. Hey, man, they want to turn them around. They're touching them. And, you know, first of all, how come the fire just burned off the ropes? The fire just burned off the ropes? That fire could have melted iron, it burns only the ropes so that they're free to walk around. They're touching their back. They're not even warm. They're looking at their hair. There's no singe. There's no smell of smoke. And they're just like, what? What just happened in there? And where'd that fourth guy go? Oh, yeah, he went back to the throne where he rules the world. Oh, king, you know, so... Here's what I always think. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, what did Jesus say to them? You know, one minute they're going like, okay, here we go. And they fall in and it's like, didn't hurt to fall. And they're standing up and whoa, what? I don't feel warm. <laughs> and then his face. Oh, I, would, I could have had a heart attack right in there and died and ruined the whole story. <laughs> what did Jesus say to them? Did he look at them and say, I know it was hard for you to keep standing when everybody in the whole world bowed. And you guys stood. I love you guys. Is that what he said? I think so. And I think he also said, as much as I'd like to take you with me right now, <laughs> and he could just make the fire work again. <laughs> I have a job for you to do so I want you to climb back out. And you hear him calling you? He's calling you now. Go see the king and live for the true king. Do a work for me here, boys. And they're like, yes, Lord. <laughs> oh, can you imagine climbing up out of there? Are you going to be free to anything after that? I mean, you are going to be like, I am living for God. Get out of my way, everybody, right? And so... You know, I you know, you could say that too. If I listen to your testimonies, I hear what God has put brought some of you through. Oh my. 
And, and how quickly you just have amnesia about that and all that has to happen is a Goliath has to present itself and then you forget about all the Ebenezer's that you've been lining up for, for many years. One big challenge causes amnesia for all the mighty things that God has done out the window. You could say the same thing. You could climb out of your fire and just say, oh, come on, God was with me in that. And I'm going forward with him, and I'm going to be afraid of nothing, nothing. They're not going to make me bow. They're not going to make me bow. And by the way, I like that the, the king is going to come to uh, his, his senses, not with a lot of preaching and arrogance and I told you so king oh who's king now you know whatever they don't do things like that as we're going to see but I wonder how many Babylonians you're going to meet and I'm going to meet in heaven who's going to say because well we want to know how you got here how'd you get saved you know that's going to be our story you know that's what we need at least a million years for that alone and then they're going to say things like well you know I was standing around the fire pit <laughs> on this plane in the mid- middle of Iraq, and these guys were saying, no, we're not going to bow, and they got thrown into the fire, and they come out of the fire. I, that was enough for me. I'm like, I'm with that guy's God, you know? And so we're going to see that when, when we stand up and when we put ourselves in harm's way and when the world looks at our lives and say, what? Why would you put yourself in a losing position? You're going to lose money if you do it the right way. You're going to lose a friendship. You're going to lose the popularity. You're going to get a lot of thumbs down on Facebook. Oh, no. That's the worst one of all. People are going to unfriend you. Oh, oh I changed my post. I changed my post. I repent. Be my friend. Don't hide me. People look at that kind of life and say, I like that. I want that. I admire that. You know? Let's finish up. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sent his angel. Oh, oh. nice try. And rescued his servants. You got that part. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god, any god, except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble (laughs) for no other god can save like that. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on top of on top of those guys in the province of Babylon. Oh, just, you know, that's how it goes with God's people. So the king's command, faith to stand, the Hebrews plan. No, no, no. The furnace gets fanned first. And then that incredible fourth man and now let's talk about their upper hand. They get the upper hand, sort of. It works. All right. It's late. Just let us finish up. So there's a big reversal. Wow. Uh, the king who's just tried to execute them is singing their praises 
and, and praises to God, their God, and he's forgotten all about that foul image. Or has he? We don't really know for sure. So, you know, uh, he, he, what I really like is that he comes to the conclusions all by himself. You don't have them going like this. He's, he's getting it. So, you know, sometimes it's less words and more living the life. You, you know, less words is more sometimes. And letting people take the consequences of their own actions and put it together and, and they, they get it, you know? So what does he come up with on his own? He comes up with God sent some kind of angelic being to rescue them, um, that these guys trusted him, trusted God, and defied the king's command. They'd rather die than serve any other God but their own. And no other God can save like that. So he comes to all of that, you know? And all on his own. One, one writer put it this way. Spiritual truths are most powerful when the individual reaches them on their own. Yes, we are to give them the truth and the facts of the gospel, but we can't force feed conversions. We can't make people believe the king's deductions are coming uh, from men who are not preaching with their lips, but their uncompromised lives are sharing the gospel. I like that. So the king's impressed, but he's got a ways to go. Is he saved yet? Most commentators would say no. He's on his way, or so it seems. We think at the very, very end that he may, it sounds a lot better than this time. Why does this time not sound so good? Well, he says true things, like a lot of people say true things about God, but then he's praising their God again. You know, I would have liked to read, then he hacked into rubble that 90-foot monstrosity, and he went back to his palace and got rid of all the idols, you know. Did it make a change in his life? And what, what's scary to me is how close you can come to heaven and still not make it. There are people who sing in pews and have Bibles and all kinds of religious paraphernalia and Jesus is hanging on the wall and they're perishing. I just always, when I read chapters like this, I myself say, are you kidding yourself? I mean, are you really, really saved? I ask myself that. And I look for evidence, and I look for evidence of change and inner conviction and how, how, I'm, how I live on the inside. How I live on the outside does not mean anything. It just doesn't mean anything, Jesus. Uh, there are people on the great white, at the great white throne who say to him, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do this? It was amazing. It was miraculous. We did, we did, we did. And he says, depart from me. So I, I check out the in, inner, which is a mess, just so you all know. <laughs> it's a mess like you're a mess. But is the Holy Spirit in there? Is there repentance? Is there love of God? Do you see? Those things are important to ask yourself. Everybody has a sin nature, and everybody has thoughts like, oh, dear Lord, if there's not grace of God, I'm going down. Every, everybody thinks those thoughts because we all have that wicked nature. But there ought to be a witness of the Holy Spirit inside of you that says you are indeed a child of the living God. His spirit to your spirit, they testify to each other that you know that you know. you got to have that. 
I don't know that this guy, he's praising the God of this. I have to wait till you see him in a couple chapters. It's like, what happened to you? I thought he was the God most high. Yeah, you know, a lot of emotion going on. But it's not, it's a lot more than emotion. And so, you know, here we are at the end. You know, the promises are good. The promises are good for people who truly trust in the Lord and have the Holy Spirit. Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the floods, they won't overwhelm you. When you walk through the the fire, you will not be burned. Can you put that picture of them all bowed down again? This is you and me today. I wish I could tell you it's just your non-Christian friends that are putting up the thing for you to bow to. But now it's the evangelical world that's telling you Oh, really a literal eternal hell? Oh, really the sanctity of marriage and human sexuality? Seriously? You need to broaden up or you're, we're, going to, we're going to turn up the heat on you. You will bow to our new theology, our modern way of doing church and and talking about the Bible and the scriptures. You will bow or we bring the fire. And there'll be, you know what? That's what you're going to see. You're going to see a few stand up and say, bring the fire. Because I can't change the Bible. I can't change the truths as offensive as they are to you. Can't change it. Not going to do it. I'm going with those guys and their God. Because that's us and our God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for your spirit who makes us competent. Apart from your spirit, we can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we, we, can, we can't do anything. God, we, we all want to be liked. We all want to be popular. We all want people to say nice things about us. <laughs> but we don't want to compromise with our relationship with God. That's not worth it. So help us, Lord, not care about the pressure that whoever it is puts on us, whether it's in the world or it's coming within the community of faith. God, let us stand by your word, by the truth, and live for Christ in an uncompromised way, like Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.